Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Jared McCall. He's a postdoctoral research fellow at Tulane University. Uh, we're going to talk about... Uh, the quantum physics and the physics underlying olfaction, smelling. So, Jared, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Richard. Yeah, how did you get interested in uh, olfaction? It was a bit of a, uh odd, odd kind of happenstance, actually. So it, it wasn't really kind of, uh, it's not what I ordinarily do, but essentially it kind of came out of kind of chance connection that my own boss had with uh, Andreas Mershin, who I think you may have had on the podcast. As you may know, he kind of, he is very much kind of studies the olfaction as a kind of and uses it kind of for potential applications in technology and things like this but one of the things that kind of came up in this is whether or not you know if you like the kind of simple paradigmatic physical models that we have for describing how scent dispersal could kind of work does that actually match up to the reality of being able to track odors uh, as, as most organisms can do so that that was really kind of the seed of it and so essentially it became, it became just a thing of, okay, you know, we have some mathematical models, let's apply these and see if they can kind of stand up to reality if they're, or if they're consistent to reality, if you like. Okay. What are the main elements of olfaction that are understood or not understood? It seems like, to me, a very, a very poorly understood, you know, sensory apparatus we have. Yeah, I, I mean, to give you to give you some general context, I suppose, it, it, it's one of the things that we do seem to live in a universe that kind of it's not only that it can be described by mathematics, but it seems determined to be described by simple mathematics. So when you think about our other senses, like uh, sight and sound, right? Some of this, uh, they're very well described, or rather it's very easy to describe what is happening uh, with light or acoustic waves using kind of very, or relatively simple mathematics and it matching up very well to what we actually find in reality. So an example for, from optics, right, would be that when Isaac Newton was actually devising the laws of optics, he actually used uh, his own eyesight to kind of 
test his hypotheses. So there's one famous experiment he did where he kind of he put a needle into his eye socket and kind of deformed his eyeball with it to test ideas like diffraction. There's, yeah. there's, there's not really been a kind of similar idea of kind of examining, well, do these basic mathematical models give us a good idea of what, uh, of what could be going on? specifically in regards to kind of how scent can be distributed. So yeah, this, this, this is something where kind of it's, it's been studied kind of on this sort of level of literal mathematical modelling of what scent is doing on the level of inside the nose, but there's, there's, there's never really been a kind of analogous thing in the same way as we have optics and acoustics that very well describe sight and sound. No one's kind of taken what we think is the canonical uh, mechanism for scent dispersal and see, does this actually kind of match up to... Uh, olfaction. Well, how does uh, how does olfaction work from your understanding? Well, my understanding of it is, is incredibly limited, limited, but on an effective level, as a kind of from well, from my perspective, uh, when I want to understand olfaction, it's kind of what are the critical kind of properties that a scent would need in order to be smelled to kind of trigger olfaction and then to be able to track that smell. Now, what that what that actually means is kind of I, I think there's been there's been kind of a lot of research from people uh, kind of studying this of kind of how does the shape of the molecule, not just the concentration, affect whether you can smell something and how strong the response is perceptually. But for our purposes, when, when I think of kind of olfaction, what I want to think about is, okay, there is some scent or some odour, and it has some kind of concentration and a gradient of that concentration. And however olfaction can work, it has to kind of use these two ingredients to allow us to kind of track odours, right? And this is something kind of we see everywhere in nature, right? Dogs can track smells. You know, if someone's been cooking, we can track smells. And so uh, uh, on the kind of physical modeling level, the simplest way to think about this is to think about, well, what is the kind of the distribution of that odor that we can follow? Mechanically, um, what's going on in olfaction? Like what happens when a molecule hits, you know, the receptor cells in our nose? Let's say, and- that is where it runs into the realms of biology. And that's, that's where kind of, I think I, I wouldn't feel kind of qualified to really tell you what's going on there. But it's more- Is your focus on... Um- on how the you know the different smells diffuse and yes um, yes this this is it. Kind of, is this if we take one of these kind of simple models like precisely diffusion the kinds of distributions of odors that we get would they support being able to kind of track those odors and well i would think it would they would come from diffusion i mean sorry conduction convection and natural convection and they uh, can lodge onto other particles i guess and you know get yeah. into the nose and I mean, there's many ways that I'm sure the, the, the molecules can get in, right? But it, it turns out that actually there's a, it's not enough just to have diffusion. So we know that kind of the atmosphere, right, it's, it's kind of, it's very nonlinear. Uh, and that means that when you get air currents and things like this, what they'll do in reality is they'll kind of stretch out odorants into kind of these very long plumes, things like this, that have kind of a, a very kind of spatially peculiar kind of distribution but things that you can actually follow. But generally, while it's been observed that it does this, it's still a question of, okay, but beside, besides that, these kind of turbulent effects, if we just had diffusion, right, this, what is it that we could kind of, what kind of conclusion could we draw from this? Is it something where actually diffusion is enough anyway, and so all of this kind of extra stuff that kind of happens uh, to the odorants as we kind of come into contact to them, does that actually matter at all? And so well, I would think it would it would depend on the application. If I'm a bloodhound and I need to track somebody, I'm not going to just rely on diffusion. I'm going to go and, you know, follow the gradients of smell. Well, this, uh, this is precisely it. It turns out that it's it, it's not just that kind of by subtracting these extra elements, it's not just that they help find a kind of origin of smell. 
But if we lived in a world where kind of diffusion was the only thing, and here you have to kind of forgive me for taking a slightly more, uh, I suppose, a kind of argument for authority almost to say that diffusion as kind of ca- categorized physically is kind of this, this very specific idea of kind of a random spread, right? That molecules bump into each other and then they kind of spread out in a, in a kind of uniform way. And you can add a kind of some kind of velocity to that but it's not quite at the level of the kind of full fluid modeling of the atmosphere that produces these kind of odorant uh, distributions. So the, the question is kind of, well, if you were to take diffusion alone, could your bloodhound or indeed anything else track a smell? And what we found was that actually, because of the kind of the nature of diffusion, the kind of the equations it obeys, the distributions you get are always something that are kind of exponential in nature. And what that means, if you've got a kind of exponential distribution, while the specifics of the shape can vary, if you imagine that you have two conditions for being able to track a smell, that first of all, the concentration has to be above some threshold. And then second of all, the gradient of your concentration at wherever you're detecting it has to be large enough that you can kind of follow it along that gradient. So you can dis- distinguish between where there's a higher sense of smell and where there's a higher concentration and where there's a lower concentration. And there are experiments on things like mice that can kind of tell you what roughly mammals' abilities to kind of distinguish concentrations have to be, what the ratio between the odour at one point and the odour at another point would have to be in order to be able to track that gradient. And with threshold densities of odour, this is also something where we kind of, there's, there's a lot of experimental data for this. But so why, why is this important? What are you hoping to figure out by determining, I mean, if, if diffusion is ever-present, are you looking for scenarios where it's not present or I'm, I don't understand? So, so the, the idea is here, this is, this is a kind of, this is a theoretical piece of work of kind of asking the counterfactual question. If diffusion was all we had, would that be enough to track smells? It's, it's kind of by the subtraction of these extra kind of nonlinear fluid dynamic processes that generate the kind of odor distributions we see in the real world, we ask. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Are they, are they really necessary or could diffusion do this alone? But when we kind of plug in like a pure diffusion model and we have these conditions, what we find is that diffusion simply isn't enough. That there is no matter what animal you are or what you're kind of thinking about, there is no way that you can kind of track any kind of odor for anything like the distances that we see in reality. That ultimately it becomes this thing that in order to find out where a smell is coming from in a diffusive model, you essentially have to be on top of it to begin with. There would be no, there would be no sense of dogs being able to track scents or even slightly differently, but you know, people say you know, sharks can detect a drop of blood in the water from a mile away. I mean, that's not quite true, but it is still kind of something like the size of a swim. But in a purely diffusive model, what we find is that, no, actually, the shark has to be about a metre away to do it. So it, it's just this idea that diffusion alone clearly can't be enough to explain the phenomenon of smell as we know it. 
So what are the other factors involved now that you figured this out? Uh, so the other factors, the way, the way odorants and anything else actually kind of move in the atmosphere, diffusion is a kind of uniform random motion. But in truth, the, the motion is kind of uh, a lot more complex. It's, it's governed by something called the uh, Navier-Stokes equation. And this is an equation that essentially describes in the most general form how a, kind of, how a fluid will move. And diffusion is kind of one part of that equation, but it removes all of the kind of difficult to deal with mathematical bits. It's those difficult to deal with mathematical bits, which are precisely the parts that kind of allow us to smell odors. That it's those that kind of produce these very peculiar sort of dis- these long tendrils of scent through the air that could never be produced by uh, diffusion. But it turns out that this, even on the kind of the most basic uh, level of kind of examining it mathematically, is completely required. Uh, so where, what are these extra kind of mathematical things happening? Um, well, it's, it's, it's a lot to do with kind of the gradients of kind of pressure that we get from weather and things like this. Okay, so diffusion, we would assume that, you know, we live almost in kind of still air. Okay, no, there's, no, there's no wind currents or anything like this, and things are allowed to kind of move uniformly. Whereas in reality, we have kind of in the atmosphere, we've always got these turbulent currents happening precisely because of weather systems and things like this. And it's those that kind of shake things up and have these cause these very nonlinear effects, odor distribution. So what is this turbulent flow of these vortices? I mean, what in plain speak, what is, you know, what assists diffusion, what assists creatures to smell? A turbulent flow is a good example of this. Yes. So uh, it it is the, the effect of these kind of forces in the atmosphere are precisely what produce things like turbulence and vortices but things like turbulence and vortices are are kind of the effects of these of these kind of outside kind of uh, slight perturbation so there's it it essentially happens because the the ultimate reason is because kind of the whole atmosphere when you move air can be very sensitive to something like a person or indeed kind of bird or anything moving through it and those things aren't well modeled by things like diffusion. But what they will then kind of produce are these things like vortices and turbulence and all of this stuff that is kind of quite difficult to understand on a kind of level of equations. But it, what we find is that it's precisely these things that we can't kind of model well, at least on pen and paper, and that we have to use things like computer simulations that are responsible for us being able to kind of uh, track odors. Okay, so... What have you found? Are there particular types of flows that, uh, you know, that I, I would think, I mean, I don't know, the molecules that make up various smells would be really, they're not necessarily a class in some of themselves. They're just molecules. So if you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Well, yes. It doesn't really seem to matter what kind of molecule it is uh, because all, all molecules will kind of, to a few orders of magnitude, the kind of they'll have more or less the same parameters, like kind of how easily they move through the air, things like this, or what the kind of threshold sensitivity we have to a molecule is, like how much do we need concentrated before we smell it. But it turns out, no, if we think about diffusion alone, the numbers we get out, it kind of it doesn't matter about the specifics of the molecule or even the kind of the specifics of the threshold sensitivity. It is it's impossible to kind of both detect and track odors from more than a meter or two away if you are if you are using diffusion alone okay i don't know so what factors uh, assist the movement of let's say you know plumes of material smells towards someone that would sense it versus not like you know what helps what's important what kind of conditions would make um, smell move about 
uh, very well, rapidly. It, it, it is, in fact, the kind of the very chaotic conditions that we it, it essentially almost the human factor, the lived factor. You know, it's the motion. It, it's the motion of air kind of from very large scale things like the jet stream that can kind of the local weather, literally the motion of people and kind of animals through it. Because what all of this does is any kind of motion through the atmosphere, any kind of motion by something else that's not the fluid, right, will disturb it in some way. And it's those disturbances that kind of interfere with the diffusion. Okay. So what what end point are you going for? Are you trying to model uh, conditions, again, under which smells would be uh, dispersed more rapidly or anything in the air, any you know chemical pollutants or... What's the end goal? Is this more theoretical, or is this more like? Is there a practical application of it? So I mean, so I mean, in this in this instance, this was kind of uh, what you might think of as a kind of a side project. So this 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 is in some sense a self-contained thing of saying theoretically there is this kind of there is this condition that you know if you were to if you were to lock someone in a still room with a kind of source of odor, right, and there was nothing but this person, and somehow you ask them, you know, can you track the source of this smell? They wouldn't be able to do it. That's that. That's the kind of that's the conclusion of this. But it is it is on a theoretical level. But it uses, I think, the point about this is that it uses a lot of the kind of the same mathematics in the end that kind of turn up in other areas of physics, like I don't know quantum dynamics, things like this. That they're all that all of these kind of equations kind of there aren't there aren't that many equations that can describe the dynamics of the world, and so they all kind of have a certain commonality to each other, which was how I kind of came into this side of it. Okay. Again, what are you? Is this more again more theoretical, or are there certain applications that you're hoping will be uh, discovered by by looking at this? Well, what are your thoughts? In in term in terms of kind of the work as it was done is kind of entirely theoretical, but it may it it may in fact kind of have some impact in terms of applications for particularly when you're kind of when you're trying to design some of these future technologies that rely on olfaction, right? That when I think about this, like there, there's there's a lot of talk now about the, the idea that you know you can use things like kind of chemical concentrations to to do things like early detection of cancer, right? The, uh, it's been shown the dogs can do this. So if you wanted to then kind of develop future technologies, like say for instance a nose on a chip, and you wanted to kind of do some of this, if you like, processing of being able to kind of work out, okay, you've got your you've got your kind of computer that's analyzing smells, and you and you want to know where it came from, well. If I were a, if I were a programmer working on this and I had to kind of work out what the model should be, I'd take kind of whatever the kind of the chip is detecting. I'd say I'll just put it into the diffusion equation because that's the simplest and cheapest way to simulate something. And what this is saying is no, that that wouldn't be good enough. So if you it, it could have some application specifically in the development of technologies and kind of what kind of computational approach you'd actually have to take to kind of learn things from odor constant backwards from that, let's say. Okay. In your bio, it, it talked about some quantum mechanical effects. So, what you know, have you discovered those are in the of those plants in olfaction? I mean, in olfaction, I'm not sure there are kind of it. So, some people. Well, I had read like, uh, you know, fruit flies smell deuterated, you know, chemicals that normally they're attracted to, and then they weren't. The theory was, I guess, that uh, you know, there's some quantum effects going on. I mean, yes. This this this, this was something where kind of so my uh, so. I, I would say that while while there is kind of some evidence for kind of deuteration, it, it uh, or deuterated kind of uh, water kind of attracting fruit flies or not, that may not be kind of on the quantum level. That ke- like deuterated water has kind of slight, subtly different kind of chemical properties in some sense when you kind of get it together. But well, it's not like the chirality of molecules, and again, a deuterated compound is almost the same as the original compound, right? 
mm. except from like a bond vibration vibrational but, uh, I, th I, I think in terms of kind of as a quantum effect i'm not sure kind of olfaction really has a component that quantum quantum effects require things to be very kind of if you like cold and dry whereas all biology is quite warm and wet so if you look at the kind of the scales in which quantum effects actually happen and the scales in which biological effects happen well ultimately it has to be quantum mechanics that drives everything it seems unlikely that there is a kind of specifically quantum effect that you can point to an olfaction i think i think there there, there are some kind of as, as you said there are some kind of experiments investigating this but on on the level of kind of identifying what that quantum effect would be it would be it would be very difficult to kind of discern essentially that it doesn't it doesn't it does not seem like there is a kind of if you if you look at it from the kind of perspective of quantum physics these things are all happening at kind of scales and temperatures and with kind of lot, lots of interference that would kind of completely wipe out any quantumness involved that it, it would be just kind of chemistry at that point okay systems in which it would be interesting to see the effects of uh of olfaction you know where there's black body radiation involved or not does that play a role at all or is it just completely outside of this yeah, I mean, this is this this is actually, this is actually an interesting question because uh, you could ask. Okay, you could you could in fact think about think about kind of adding some kind of radiative effects, like or even just in some sense uh, accounting for changing temperature, things like that. You can all you can kind of put all of this stuff as an addition to the model and see if that is a kind of enough. I think I think the thing to ask would be what is the minimum amount of dynamics you need to add before we get this kind of behavior uh, before we get this prediction that, you know, you should be able to smell or at least something some of the time in a way that kind of conforms to what we see in reality. So what, I mean, what are some hypotheses that you have right now? It seems like you've figured out that diffusion alone is not enough, but where do you take this from here? What's next for the research? Well, in terms of this research, I think it probably won't be me kind of carrying this, this part on because ordinarily I kind of, I, I, I work in a, in quantum theory. So this, this became, this, this was a little bit of a kind of, side project if you like that ordinarily i kind of i work on something called quantum control so what's next would be a question for uh for the biophysicists really oh okay i got you well were you able to inform the people that do focus on all faction of well we we, you know, we wrote this with, uh, with andreas mershin so he's the mm -hmm. he's kind of as you know the kind of the old faction guy so that and, and in fact kind of one of the original reasons for doing this was that he he had a suspicion uh let's say uh diffusion wasn't enough to account for olfaction, but it was kind of it was necessary to show that, and so kind of he he wanted someone to kind of with the uh, should we say mathematical fluency to try and do that, and that's uh, that's how this uh, these kind of results arose. But what 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 happens with it, I think, is is a question for those who kind of who are more focused on this area. Let's say, Gerard, tell me, or Gerard, tell me uh, what's the best way for people to find out more about this research and your normal quantum research uh, where can they go no so i guess i guess almost the best place would be the kind of google scholar page but that's that's probably a little bit facetious so the the, the paper on this kind of olfaction stuff uh has been published uh and it's open access so kind of anyone can kind of see this the paper's called diffusion fails to make a stink and then in in the ordinary world you know kind of there's a if you want to see kind of any of the stuff about quantum control that i do those papers are kind of around as well uh, i think probably the easiest way to do that is just to kind of google on archive uh, and kind of you can find kind of all my papers on archive things like this so yeah well very good jared jared thank you for coming on the podcast i appreciate it well thank you richard if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes
You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.